Polovinaka, this is Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. I'm Susana Suiswiki. Coming up... It'll be about 80 or 90 miles per hour. A storm is brewing nearby the northern Marianas, expecting to hit the country this week. Also... We have not declared a war, but in reality we are at war. An inquiry in PNG reveals there's no end in sight with gender and sorcery-based violence. And later, they may have just lost to Portugal, but Fiji are going through to the Rugby World Cup quarterfinals. A tropical storm warning is in effect for Guam, meaning winds between 63 and 117 kilometres per hour are expected within the next day. And a typhoon watch remains in place for Guam, Rota, Tinian and Saipan. Caleb Fotheringham has more. The National Weather Service in Guam is predicting tropical storm Bolaven will turn into a typhoon before reaching the northern Mariana Islands. Senior meteorologist Paul Stanko says the storm is predicted to be felt worst overnight on Tuesday local time and diminish in strength during the day on Wednesday. It'll be about 80 or 90 miles per hour. That's strong enough to do some real damage to weaker structures. Reinforced concrete. Not going to be a big deal. Meteorologist Landon Adlett from the same weather service says the typhoon is moving north and intensifying. As currently forecast, Tinian and Saipan could take a direct hit by either a Category 1 or a Category 2 typhoon at the time of passage. Typhoon Mawa made landfall on Guam in May, bringing sustained winds of 225 kilometres per hour. Mr Stanko says a lot of debris remains, and although Bolaven looks to most likely avoid Guam, it could still potentially hit the territory. We've been a little worried if Bolaven happened to hit us directly, what would happen to all that stuff? We've already got all those ready-made flying little missiles for it to use to pummel everything. RNZ Pacific CNMI correspondent Mark Rabago from Saipan says people are busy preparing for the storm. People have been going to the stores to buy supplies, batteries for their flashlights, canned food, water, withdrawing money, gassing their cars, all that stuff just to prepare for Prepare for the worst and hope for the best. In 2015, Typhoon Soldalor and in 2018, Typhoon U2 wreaked havoc in the northern Mariana Islands. We had to drink rainwater. We had to line up for like three to four hours just to get gas. We had a limit on groceries. We can only buy so-and-so cans of meat and everything was controlled. Mr. Rabago says the typhoons of the past have left a generational mark on the people in CNMI. There was alarm and anger in Papua New Guinea's parliament last week when an inquiry revealed that gender-based and sorcery-related violence is increasing in the country. Port Moresby Governor Paus Parkop, who presented the reports before the House, said that gender-based and sorcery-related violence is largely unreported. The damning inquiry found at least 28% of women between the ages of 15 and 49 have experienced sexual violence. Fina Funua has more. The numbers that we hear today are alarming, and we should be ashamed of the facts. GBV is a cancer that rots away at the very foundation of what our society and Christian beliefs are based on. Passionate speeches were made on the floor of Papua New Guinea's Parliament House last Thursday, following the presentation of a damning report 
that found that gender-based and sorcery-related violence continued to be widespread and unreported. According to the inquiry, PNG health authorities have reported over 63,000 cases of physical violence since 2018, and that number is expected to soon exceed 100,000. Port Moresby Governor Paul's Parkop, who chaired the Permanent Parliamentary Committee on Gender-Based Violence, which conducted the inquiry, said the figures resembled a war-torn country. They advise us that the data is only, and I quote from their presentation, only the tip of the iceberg, a catastrophic human rights violation alarming for a country not at war. Mr. Deputy Speaker and Members of Parliament, we are not at war. We have not declared a war, but in reality, we are at war. If not addressed, they go on, that they suggest that the case of violence presented at health services around the country could exceed more than 100,000 a year. Paul's Parkop recommended that government restrict anyone convicted of domestic violence from entering parliament. Minister of Labour and only one of two women in PNG's parliament, Casey Sawang, supported the recommendation. Minister Sawang said Papua New Guinea had signed a number of international conventions against GBV, but it continued to plague the country. She said the government had to take the lead in addressing the crisis. We have every right. It is our right to live in a free, fair and just society. We cannot be subject to violence. There shouldn't be any double standard in this country. And we are a state organization. We are a state. And it is the responsibility of the state to protect its citizens. We have a social contract as government. We have a social contract to our people, and one of that is to protect our most vulnerable. And it so happens that we women and girls in Papua New Guinea, and also the youth, we become the most vulnerable. Prime Minister James Marape also expressed support of Pakup's inquiry. Marape condemned men who engaged in domestic violence and sorcery as being unchristian. He said women needed to be acknowledged as equals. The mother of Melanesia is an asset to the society. She anchors the household, anchors the family, anchors the tribe, and anchors the community. Together, this parliament, this time, why don't we agree and rise up? Take back PNG Mitogel, one of something. Start at the home, and it starts first. Let's protect our wives, our mothers, and our daughters amongst us. In doing this, we would secure the future of our country. According to the inquiry, more than half of women between the ages of 15 and 49 have experienced physical violence in PNG, while 28% have experienced sexual violence. The study also found that on average, almost 400 people are accused of sorcery each year, with at least 65 of the accused confirmed to have been killed. Environmental activists in a remote part of Papua New Guinea are celebrating, with the company behind a proposed copper and gold mine forced to consult with them. 
Project CEPIC with the assistance of advocacy group Jubilee Australia. Two years ago, complaints to an Australian government-sponsored independent body set up to resolve complaints made against multinationals about plans for the huge mine on the Frida River, a tributary of the CEPIC River. They alleged that the Australian-based Chinese-owned miner Pan Ost had failed to gain the free prior and informed consent of communities who live along the Sepik River, failed to adequately assess and mitigate environmental risks, and inadequately disclose key information affecting the communities. The Australian National Contact Point on Responsible Business Conduct found that the company would need to have prior consent from certain groups, which could include Project Sepik and Jubilee Australia. Don Wiseman spoke with Emmanuel Penny, the Project CEPIC Program Coordinator and the organisation's Executive Director, Mary Boney, about the decision. We celebrated this decision or the statement and the outcome of the, our complaint. We were happy that our complaint was accepted. That means it's a valid complaint. And then the investigation took two years. And, and now we're, we are happy about some of the outcomes of the investigation. The most significant one for us is the, the comp, our complaint about ethic uh, and what the practices are of companies of large uh, transnational businesses and conglomerates, all parts of the world, including Papua New Guinea. The decision is very much an interim one, of course, isn't it? They're not exactly voting in your favour, but there are a number of points they've made that the company's got to be mindful of. For us here in Papua New Guinea, laws set out by OECD and many others, they don't accompany more than what is required of the FPIC. And so this outcome is really important for us. We also think that the FPIC are defined by companies and our colonizers, and it doesn't reflect our way of talking about resources, talking about land, and our way of mediating and finding decisions or making decisions for collective good and for the benefit of the communities. And so we are left out, even if the FPIC is implemented. Mary, clearly the company now has to properly seek free prior informed consent from a community that includes your group, which is pretty strong. It's pretty large, isn't it? So what do you think is going to come next? First of all, we've got to realise that this is a this is a process that's um, a foreign process. And this tribunal is an independent tribunal overseas. So whether they comply to it in our country, that's still a question. That's still um, a question to ask. And if you look at the practicality of it, if they're going to comply with it, one of the requirements that came out of the recommendations of that final statement of the process, the tribunal was that Project CIPIC be um, present in all those consultations that they're going to take out with um, communities. And when you talk about communities, you're talking about communities all along the river. You're talking about the upper Pacific, the mid- middle Pacific, and the lower Pacific area. So you're talking about, you know, um, looking at the practice that, that's always through the whole process. If, you know, the current principles requiring FPIC, are they prepared to actually sit and go through all of that with all our people? When you look at the practicality of it, the practical aspect of it, you realize that's a really big task for the company. And therefore, that question is definitely a question to ask. So the question of will the company have Project CPIC and Jubilee Australia, as stated in the statement, accompany them in all their FPIC? It's for them to answer. 
But given the practices from when we started working in 2016, they've belittled us, they've sidelined us, marginalized our voice, and they've gone out in media and saying we are misinforming the communities, telling them things that are not true. So it's a question for them to answer, but we'll be very happy to work with them and be with them at the time of consultation with every communities, every villages along the river. The critical thing, I guess, for you, for your group, and for the communities, is this huge tailings dam that's planned. And there's a particular decision made in this report that puts the onus back on the company to get people better informed about it all. The dam breakage analysis was a crucial piece of document considering um, the location of PNG in terms of, you know, geographically from a global perspective and the fact that we're on a ring of fire is around the Pacific Ocean. So obviously this mine is on an earthquake belt, if you like. So that information, that analysis needs to be something that's shared from the beginning if the company was genuine. And it's not just information that's for Project CIPIC and Jubilee Australia. It's information that should be accessible by anybody in Papua New Guinea for that matter. To this day, that information is nowhere to be found. So therefore, the recommendation for it to be um, shared with us. So where do we go from this point? Okay, one thing to note, Don, during the process, it should be noted that the company in the beginning, Penos, didn't want to come to the table to have this discussed with um, Project CPIC and Jubilee Australia. So now that this recommendation is out now for a dam breakage analysis, we're not sure how the company is going to react. So there's a 12-month period after this final statement. And I guess that's the period where we're going to see how the company reacts to this. And I would think that if they're genuine, this is one of the first things they're going to come up with and give, give to us. Manu, over the years, have you found growing community support or antagonism toward your work within the community? Project CPIC has been blessed with the support of Papua New Guineans all over the country. The people of um, uh, CPIC who are based in Port Moresby, CPICs along the river and CPICs in WeWAC. We've got full solidarity and support throughout the years and even today. And so we've never faced any kind of antagonism by anyone, even including the government, which is usually in Papua New Guinea's experience on the company side. They have been fully supportive of our work and they've included us in their programs. And we've also included the government in our program. Fiji have managed to scrape through to the quarterfinals of the Rugby World Cup despite losing to an inspired Portugal team 24-23 in Toulouse on Monday. It's an historic maiden win for the Portuguese who had the flying Fijians on the back foot for most of the match in front of a sea of adoring fans decked out in red. Fiji go through thanks to a bonus point earned by keeping the scoreline within seven points and progress at the expense of Australia who bow out on the pool stage for the first time ever. RNZ Pacific senior journalist Elisa Tora is in France and he spoke to Koroi Hawkins about the results as well as the final games for Samoa and Tonga in the tournament. Yeah, Vinaka, I think um, you know Fiji uh, was their own uh, worst enemy on the day. Uh, Portugal did well. Uh, they battled hard in the forward pack. Uh, you know they were able to win their share of uh, possession. They used their backline. They got the tries. They got the win in the end. Fiji, um, you know, had a scrappy first half. Uh, they didn't, you know, they didn't release the ball wide. They were knocking on. They just, you know, just basic mistakes, and uh, I believe, you know, they they put a lot of pressure on on themselves. Uh, 
uh, in the set pieces. And, um, you know, they came back in the second half, scored two tries, uh, but then slipped again in the last 10, um, allowing Portugal to come back into, into the game. Uh, uh, Simon Rewalui will have a lot of uh, talking to and a lot of work to do uh, over the next few days. They will need to review that game. I think likely for them, he had rested some of his key players, uh, tried out some from the bench and from uh, the the whole squad. So uh, probably looking at uh, how he can have depth going into England. England is a, is a good tournament team. They, uh, they've done well so far. They had a very tough game against uh, Manu Samoa. They came out on top. Um, but yes, Fiji definitely will have to uh, have a real overhaul uh, before they meet England in the quarterfinal. Tonga, finally a win on the board, heading out of the tournament, but um, a lot of pride in that match. Yes, Tonga played um, consistently uh, against Romania. They uh, picked up from where they left, left off against the Springboks the week earlier. You know, they had George Mola coming back into the game very fired up after having missed three um, earlier pool matches because of the suspension that he was given. Uh, he basically ran the back line and you know, the forwards were in there. Uh, they scored some very good tries uh, and um, they they kept consistently going in the second half. Their set pieces was good. Uh, they defended well when uh, they needed to and they took their options and um, uh, they were you know, running the ball from uh, width to width and were able to score some tries. Uh, along the back line uh, through there. Samoa, one point difference, nearly secured that automatic qualification. Must be so gutted to not come away with that result against England. Yes, uh, a lot of people really felt for uh, Samoa uh, when, you know, when the final whistle uh, went uh, against England. England came back, just scored that winning try when Samoa was down one man. Uh, and, you know, that was it. They, they were trailing throughout the game. Uh, Samoa was in it all the time. Uh, they had two tries that were disallowed. If they had scored that, that would have turned the game uh, their way earlier on in the, in the first half and put more pressure on England. Throughout the tournament, uh, that has been the, the story of Manu Samoa, the missed chances. Uh, they uh, could have won against Argentina. They should have won against Japan and unfortunate uh, that, uh, that they didn't. But the a brave uh, show in their last game against England, and uh, England uh, really, really felt, uh, you know, the the physicality, uh, the power, the tackles, the bone bone crunching tackles that that went in, uh, and Samoa did well. Uh, unfortunately, uh, disappointment at the end because they were not able to uh, cap off their Rugby World Cup uh, tournament campaign uh, with a win that could have seen them automatically qualify for 2027. The Obviously, the other big result as a result of Fiji going through to the quarters is Australia out of this tournament for the first time in the pool stages in their history. Maybe just briefly going over Australia's tournament. Yes, Australia um, was out after they lost to, um, uh, to Wales. Uh, they came back and won against Portugal. They had a slight chance of uh, you know getting into the the quarterfinal if Fiji had lost by more than uh, seven points and didn't get a bonus point uh, against Portugal but um, disappointment for them uh, because um, they lost to Fiji and Wales and uh, they struggled 
uh, in those in those games. Uh, Eddie Jones, of course, you know, opting for um, some new players coming into the World Cup, dropping off some of the experienced hands, uh, possibly looking at the at the future, uh, especially because they will be hosting 2027 uh, in Australia. But um, uh, not not a good tournament for them. They're out uh, in the pool stages for the very first time since uh, the World Cup started in 1987. All the quarterfinal spots booked now. Uh, how are those matchups looking? Any any that you're really excited for? Well, uh, you know, looking at uh, at at the uh, World Cup uh, quarterfinal stages now, it's uh, it's going to be some very very tough games. Uh, I believe they are going to be very close also. Uh, Ireland against uh, against the All Blacks, uh, France against South Africa, Wales against Argentina, Fiji against England. Uh, very very tough matches coming up uh, for all the quarter finalists. Uh, in a lot of interest will be on um, on of course Ireland and New Zealand and uh, South Africa against the host France because uh, they are the top seeded teams uh, in the world right now. So um, anybody's guess, but uh, on form, you know, these four teams um, uh, have been doing it very well. Uh, of course, the All Blacks lost to France in their first game, but picked up uh, the rest of their matches. And South Africa losing to Ireland, uh, but then in their first game, and then, then picking up. Uh, so interesting, interesting quarterfinals coming up. Naka. Ilyas, uh, all the best for your travels up to Marseille, and we look forward to hearing more about Fiji's preparations ahead of their quarterfinal. That's Pacific Ways for today. To listen back, head over to rndi.com slash programs. We're also on Apple, Spotify, and iHeartRadio podcasts. From myself and the RNZ Pacific team, to Fasui 4.